Good morning. So the scripture reading this morning is 2 Peter 1, 1 through 15. So I'll give you a second. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you and the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he has, was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the, in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at all times to recall these things. This is the very word of God. You notice there in verse 14 that Peter says he knows he is going to die soon. Uh, the se- letter of Second Peter is Peter's Last words, he wants to emphasize to his readers before he dies. He wants them to keep some things in mind. Now, I come to you this morning not planning to die soon, although my, uh, my last lab test this week said my cholesterol's up a little bit, so you never know. Um, Colby, thanks for laughing. I was, just relax, everybody. Just relax. Um, However, however, I've turned to this passage this morning because we are bringing to an end a, um, a year-long emphasis in our sermons and our preaching. Um, today is a Sunday that from about a year ago planned to preach on this particular passage as a way of concluding what we've been studying all over the last uh, year together. So I know there's a lot of things that we've been talking about, a lot of things that we've studied, and we'll reflect on a few of those in this message. Um, But I thought that this was a great summary passage uh, because just like Peter knows, I've kind of got to leave my readers with 
what do we do? How do we move on when you close a chapter and move into the next chapter? Uh, In the same way, I feel like this particular passage, we come to the end of this sermon year, is a good way for us to remember these three things that uh, that Peter brings to his reader's mind in these verses. First, what we've been given. Second, what we should examine. And then third, remember where we're heading. (laughs) So what we've been given, what we should examine, and third, remember where we're heading. So as we begin this morning, let's think first about what Peter says here about what we've been given. It's something that really ought to capture our attention when you hear that God has given you something. God has given you something. A a gift, in fact, that only God could give because it comes to us by his own divine power. It's not a gift that you could get from your spouse, from a family member, from even a close friend. This is a gift that you could only have from God because it took his own divine power to give it to you. What we've been given by God is not something that we could have been given by anyone else. It's made available to us only by virtue of the fact that God has divine power to grant it to us. So it's worth our attention. Look at what it is. What is it he has given to us? Peter says to us here in verse 3, he has given to us by his divine power all things that pertain to life and godliness. I want to meditate on this with you for just a few moments because this really is important. These last two words, uh, last couple words, life and godliness, are not two separate things that God has given to us, but they go together and should be understood as he has given to us all things that pertain to a godly life. So, in other words, by God's divine power, he has granted to us, brothers and sisters, everything you need to live a godly life. Now, I'm guessing that many will hear a phrase, a godly life, and not be so sure it's something they really want. A godly life perhaps sounds like a devout or religious life. A godly life is a person who is overtly pious. You know the kind of person I'm speaking about. Godly people go to church, they talk about church, they talk about God, they talk about the Bible, they do religious things all the time. And they're often the kind of people you don't really want to be around. They're cold relationally. When you're around them, you don't feel excitement and joy. You feel more shame, judgment when you're around godly people. When you're around a godly person, you know, you watch your mouth. You watch your language. Um, You don't talk about worldly things. Godly people, in many people's minds, are intimidating people, not encouraging people. And a lot of us don't want to be around these kinds of godly people. So is that what goes through your mind when you hear 
God has given to us by his own power everything you need to be that kind of person. If that's what you're thinking, no wonder you're not too thrilled under that mask this morning. Man, this is a cold room. Okay, all right. Now, of course, that's not what we should have in mind. There's a lot of confusion, of course, about what a godly life is. Now, there can be no doubt that if a person does not love God, is repulsed by God and the things of God, then, of course, to be around a godly person would be objectionable. But we also must do away with any conception that a godly life or a life that is godlike in some way is anything but the most joyful, satisfying life there can be. That's what we're after. That's what has been promised to us. The kind of person that is a magnet that you want to be around. They're encouraging. They're life-giving. Because after all, a godly life is something at least very close to or similar to the kind of life that the Creator God intends for you to have, a life that is good, a life that God Himself enjoys. Now, what would such a life be like for you and me? If it's not the kinds of things that I was just alluding to, then what does it look like to live a godly life? Well, we actually are told in our text, although most English translations don't make the connection very explicit. There's actually uh, verse 3 in the ESV looks like the beginning of a new sentence, but it's grammatically dependent in Greek on verse 2. And um, the, the New American Standard gets that connection. Here's what the New American Standard says. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that... His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. In other words, Paul, uh, Peter can pronounce the blessing of multiplied grace and peace to his fellow Christians because they've been given by God's own power everything needed to live that kind of life. So let me try to make that plain. If you're a believer in Christ... If you're a true Christian, then here is what God has given to you by his own divine power. He has given to you everything you need to enjoy the God-intended life of, here it is, a life of multiplied grace and peace. That's what God has given to you by his divine power. Now, how does he do it? How is it possible? Here is one of our misperceptions of the godly life. His divine power has not given to us everything we need to avoid trouble or suffering or sin. God's divine power has not made us exempt from disappointment, frustration, and pain. Do you see why we're so confused about what the godly life is? Some would say the godly life is this overly pious life, no joy. Others would say, well, if it's a godly life, there can't be any, any hint of trouble, difficulty, suffering, disappointment. None of those are right. Rather, God, his divine power, has made it possible for us to know the ever-growing, multiplied grace and peace of God in the midst of all those kinds of struggles. His divine power has not given us escape from life's difficulties, but empowerment 
take them all on. Now, I know that still sounds very religious, but way too many professing Christians are not moved by this because we're missing something important here. We need to notice that what we've been given is not automatic grace and peace, but rather access to the place where multiplied grace and peace are found. So in other words, if you're in Christ and you don't take advantage of the privilege, you don't take advantage of the privilege of opening the door, the access that you have by virtue of your union with Christ, then you still will not know a life of multiplied grace and peace. You you won't know the godly life. So some of you are thinking, I, I, I trust in Christ, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I, I don't know this life multiplied grace and peace. How do I get it? Verse 2 says, grace and peace, look at it, grace and peace are multiplied to us in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3 says the same thing. We've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Verses 5 and 6 also mention this knowledge, as does verse 8. It's unmistakable in these verses. If you want to enjoy the multiplied grace and peace that comes from God's own divine power, then you will find it not in being religious, not in being overtly pious. You will find it in and only in the knowledge of Christ. This is the heart of the gospel that we preach, the good news, the hope of salvation, the a way to live a life of multiplied grace and peace is found only in knowing Christ. That's it. It's similar to Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in Ephesians 1.17. He prays that the believers will receive from God, what does he want? The spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Christ. You see, it is Jesus, our text says, who has called us to his own glory and excellence. But for far too many professing Christians, Jesus is way too distant He's too much like an exemplary figure of past history instead of an ever-present friend and host inviting us, welcoming us, bringing us in to enjoy the feast that he has prepared for us. And oh, Crosstown, for the last year as we've been preaching, this has been my desire for you and for me is to know this Jesus, to follow this Jesus. After all, We read in verses 3 to 4 that the feast that he has prepared for us is better than you can even imagine. What he has promised to us is nothing less than becoming, look what it says, partakers of the divine nature. Now, that is a stunning phrase to read in your Bible. It, It may even sound borderline heresy. To say that God has given to you and to you and to you and to you, brothers and sisters, the promise of becoming a partaker of the divine nature. But there's another heresy besides claiming too much, and it's the heresy of claiming too little of what the Bible promises. 
So I don't want us to make either mistake here. What, what this verse has in mind is further clarified by what follows. We've been promised the privilege of partaking of the divine nature. This, the text says because we have escaped. We've escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, I, I, I'm guessing that for many people, when you read in your Bibles, God has given us an escape from the corruption that's in the world, your mind might automatically go to some sort of idea that we escape the corruption that's in the world when we die. There's too many so-called Christian funerals that give us that kind of an idea. But that is actually far more of a pagan Greek concept than it is a biblical concept. It is much more pagan than it is Christian. It's the heresy of saying far too little about what the Bible has promised. There is a corruption of this life to escape, to be sure. That's what the text says. But the cause of the corruption is not that you are in a body. The cause of the corruption is not embodiment. But look what it says. It is desire gone wrong. That's what causes the corruption. You've escaped the corruption that's in the world because there's corruption in the world because of desire gone wrong, not because you are in a body. And, and everyone can understand this, by the way. You don't even have to be a Christian to understand this. It's because we human beings desire and crave things that are harmful to ourselves and to each other that we experience the corruption that's in the world. So whether your chief concern is election integrity or climate change, you know you're probably saying that the problem is rooted in desire gone wrong. And on this, the Bible would agree with you. But here's the thing. The Bible gives you an out, an escape. It's different than anything that anyone else can can say because the Bible says the, the change comes, the escape comes, the solution comes from a radical change to the human heart. That's how you escape. You've been given an escape from the corruption that is in the world because in the gospel, you've been given a new heart. This is a gift that comes only by God's own power. You can't change the human heart, and neither can I. No one can. Only God, by his own divine power, can change the problem of the world, and that is human desire gone wrong. Only God, by his power and by his great promises, can change the heart of those who will believe him. So, brothers and sisters, don't be a heretic, either by hopelessness to the world's corruption, going to have to wait till we die and fly away somewhere. That's heretical. Or by misplaced hope in some other claim, only in Jesus. Only in Jesus will we find the real hope for escaping the corruption that is in the world because of the transforming power of the gospel to change the heart and thereby enjoy the godly life multiplied grace and peace all your days. That's what you've been given. That's what we've been given. Isn't this amazing? This is what the Bible promises. This is the hope of the gospel, and you've been granted it, all of you. 
From the least in Christ to the greatest, you've been granted this great gift. Now, all of it makes sense, at least from a theoretical standpoint, but it admittedly is a bit more complex and difficult to hold together and know where we should put in the plow and what we should do tomorrow morning. Or should we do anything at all? (laughs) Is a passage like the one before us, Peter knows he doesn't have much time left, giving kind of his final words. Is he just meant to encourage us? Like, okay, that's good. That's great. Thanks. Or does he want to move us to action? (laughs) Does he want us to do something? And there's no mistaking the answer to that question. Because when you come to verse 5, here's what it says. For this very reason, make every effort to, you see it? What follows is in, yeah, what follows is instruction on what we should examine in light of what we've been given. So what we've been given, now what we should examine. Let's get practical for a moment. Where do we put in the plow? What do we do tomorrow morning? Or this afternoon. Okay, so the words for this reason means, you know this, in light of what has been given, granted by divine power, in light of such a treasure, now make every effort. You can't just hear that good news and not be changed by it. The goal of the gospel highlighted in verses three and four, what we've been given is to spur us to action in verses 5 through 7. So let's take a look. There's two primary ways that you can be spurred into action. You can be warned of a danger. Do this or else. That will get your attention, maybe. Or you can be encouraged toward a hope. Do this because... And there's a world of a difference between those two different ways of trying to get us to action. The kind of action that the Bible consistently seeks is the latter. You've been given all of this, therefore, unfortunately, sometimes we think that that means there's no element of the other, right? Do this because does not mean there's no danger if you don't do this. Are you with me? Are you with We've got to try to hold that together as Christians because sometimes trying to emphasize one, we've almost forgotten the other. The gospel is not insignificant. The news of what you've been given, brothers and sisters, all of you, the power to live a godly life, multiplied grace and peace through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, it, it, you've, it's got to move you to action. Something's wrong, dangerously wrong. If that just goes in one ear and out the other. So let's, let's take a look here. This is the most significant news in the world, leading us to the greatest good imaginable if we follow that path, or the greatest horrors imaginable if we don't. So all throughout this past sermon year, that's the tightrope we've been walking. We've been on cycle three of our catechism for the last year, which is a focus on the way. And we've seen throughout the sermons that we've been preaching, through the texts we've been studying, encouragement to pursue the gifts that are ours and the precious promises that we've been given in the gospel. 
So, for instance, we studied First and Second Thessalonians. And regularly, the Apostle Paul urged the believers to live in such a way that pleases God and to do it more and more. And if you hear that and think, do this or else, you've missed the whole point of the gospel. Do this because. Paul knows God had chosen them, he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, because they had received the gospel and turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. Therefore, because of that, move on, press on, know him more and more. Please him more and more. We studied the important biblical theme of the kingdom of God. And we noted that those who belong to Christ have already entered, already entered into this long-awaited kingdom. You don't have to die to see the kingdom of God. If you're in Christ, you've entered into the kingdom right now in your seat where you are. Therefore, If you belong to Christ, you've entered into this long-awaited kingdom, then live free as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Don't go back into your slavery. Live in the freedom that's yours in Christ. So for this reason, our theme for the sermon year, we've chuckled about a lot of times, is walk this way. Right? But, but do you see? It's because of this reason. I mean, I don't know. I, I just get frustrated sometimes. Like, well, you're just telling me to follow a bunch of rules. No. No, we're trying to leave, live free in the kingdom. That's what you've been given. You've, you've been granted by God's great promises this freedom. You've escaped from the corruption that's in the world because God has given you a new heart. So press into it. Why wouldn't you want to know a life of multiplied grace and, pre- and peace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? It's yours. It's yours. And, and if this sounds, if, if throughout the last year, too many of the sermons have sounded to you more like judgment than encouragement, if it doesn't move you to action with joy, with joy, then perhaps you just, you just don't see what's so great and precious about Christ's promises. Perhaps you don't have a new heart. You have no desire to escape the corruption that's in the world because you don't think there really is any other way. But if you do, if you've been granted by God's power through the knowledge of Christ, this new heart, then let's keep going. Let's, let's, let's get going. Let's know this Christ more, more. Let's press into it more. And here the Bible tells us, That the way to do that is, look what it says, make every effort, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, but but what does that mean? Um, Many of the commentators on this verse will will point out that verse 5 is difficult to translate into English um, because it's, it's not... It's not telling us what I I think we probably are guessing it means when we read it in the ESV, for instance. It's it's not the ESV's fault here, by the way. This is just a difficulty of translation. All right? So here's the, it's not telling us add to faith things like virtue, knowledge, and self-control. Instead, it's saying something like this, each virtue is the means of producing the next. 
Uh, equally difficult to understand is why the text identifies these particular set of virtues. And it's probably a mistake to try to understand logically how one would, leads to the next. In other words, this is the kind of list that can really get us in the weeds for a while, like trying to think through things that really the scope of it, just looking at it from as a whole, is meant to have a bigger impact on us. In other words, it's probably best to take a, a passage like this, these verses, and understand that these virtues are meant to be representative of the kind of character that true Christian faith ought to produce. It's not the only list like this, by the way. There's one that you're probably much more familiar with in Galatians chapter 5. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. They're very similar. Some of them are the same, and probably that's what Peter is getting at. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is not the only fruit that the Spirit produces. Here's some more of them. Okay, so what, what are we supposed to do then? If, if this isn't telling us, take your faith and now do everything you can to add this thing to it, then what is it trying to do? What's it here for? And, and what it's here to do, just like in Galatians 5, is it's here to be a means of self-examination. This is the kind of self-examination that is biblically warranted. It's the fruit of God-centered humility, ever seeking to shake free of all that displeases the Father, dishonors the Son, and grieves the Holy Spirit so we can honor God more. To be spiritually healthy, that's what a point of a, a, an examination is, is to be healthy, right? So I had to go to the doctor this week, get my blood test, and he says, cholesterol's up a little bit. Well, why do we do that? We want to be healthy. It's good, even if it's a little painful. Got to cut the eggs out, right? So Daryl told me to just take the yolks out, but that's the best part. So oatmeal, here it comes. Lots of brown sugar. Um, that's, that's what is before us today. Are you okay with this kind of an examination, brothers and sisters? Are you okay with it? To be spiritually healthy is to be alert and energetic for works of love and obedience. And if you don't want that, okay, the alternative is degenerating into insensitivity, sluggishness, a life of slackness and drift. Which would you like to have? You could take the exam and say cholesterol is up, make some changes, or but you don't have to. That's fine. Just come see the doctor more often, give him a little bit more money. I mean, th this is the way it can work. So here, a text like this, like Galatians 5, is there for you, Christian, to do a little self-examination. So now consider, which of the two do you think God, by his own divine power, wants for you and has given to you? A life of healthy love and obedience or a life of sluggish carelessness? Which do you think God wants? Okay, now that's what we've been trying to do over the last year together. You can't grasp the kingdom of God if it leaves you unmoved to action. For this is a kingdom into which you have already entered if you trust in Christ. You can no more live the same as you always have now if you're in the kingdom and you see the kingdom than you could live the same way now tomorrow if you were just made the king of a nation. It's got to change your life. 
This is the greatest privilege for things to change. But, but here again, we hasten to add that the way things are to change, the new way in which we walk, is not a cold list of rules to follow. Don't go home, take this list of virtues or the fruit of the Spirit and say, okay, now this week I'm going to really try to add this one. The way we see Christian virtue develop is, remember verses 3 and 4, through the knowledge of Him. Through the knowledge of Him. It's a one-way street. There's no other way. It may be one reason, in fact, why Peter capstones his list by mentioning love. It's the virtue that heads the list in Galatians 5.22, and it's the It's the virtue that Paul calls the greatest in 1 Corinthians 13. So verses 8 and 9 tell us the importance of this healthy gospel self-examination. And I'm hoping you're willing to do it. Verse 8 says, if these qualities are present, you take the exam, you got to assess how are you doing in the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and you see them, you see evidences of them, then here's what will happen. It will keep you, he says, from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the word translated ineffective is the same Greek word translated useless in James 2.20, which says, faith apart from works is Useless, dead, ineffective. You say you trust in Christ. You say, I know Jesus. That is a massive claim. And if you really know Jesus, then you have, this is why it's a massive claim, you have a dynamic power at work in you that you couldn't get any other way than by God's own power himself. It's the evidence of the power, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that simply must be there or your claim to know Christ is invalid. Invalid. Worse than that, verse 9 says, that if you claim to know Christ, but you do not see this, this godly life, The godly life is the the life of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't see the fruit of the Spirit growing, then here's what he says. You're so nearsighted that you are blind. You have forgotten that you've been cleansed from your former sins. Now, I can relate to this verse. Before I had LASIK surgery some years ago, I was so nearsighted that I was told I was legally blind. What? What Legally blind? I could still see, but only like right here, you know, like face in the mirror is the only way I could see. In the same way, if the qualities of the godly life, listen, if the qualities of the godly life are lacking, then you are trying to get around. You're trying to, you're trying to navigate your life without the corrective lens of the gospel. You are living each day, as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, oblivious that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. You've forgotten. You're living your life. You say, oh, I know the gospel. I know I'm forgiven. Well, you know it, but you forget it every single day of your life. And you live your life forgetting that your old life, your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. 
Of course, again, you know it's true. You'd answer the theological question the right way, but you don't live like it's true. And therefore, you don't enjoy the godly life that God has given to you by his own divine power that he purchased at the price of his own son's life. So see here what the Bible is saying. There's two ways you can live tomorrow. You can live oblivious to the power of the gospel. You can. But the result of such a life is fruitlessness when it comes to the knowledge of Christ. You might as well be an unbeliever. Your life wouldn't be any different if you weren't a Christian and you just renounced your Christian faith altogether. If all your faith in Christ does is give you some degree of hope that you just might go to heaven when you die, then your faith is useless. Because, don't you see, the gospel of Jesus Christ sets you free now, right now. If anyone is in Christ, Paul says, new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. It's come. The LASIK surgery has been performed, and it's a brand new world for you. Oh, man, I woke up the next morning, little pain in the eye still, smiling because I could see That's what the gospel will do for you if you see the kingdom of God and you see all that God has given to you by his own divine power. The world is a new world. The godly life is not evidenced in the uptight living of the religious, nor in the self-centered living of individualism, nor in the partially committed living of the apathetic. Only those who are all in, I heard this sermon last week, with Christ will know the freedom that leads to the fruitful godly life that God has granted by his own divine power. Crosstown, I I want that life. Don't you? I mean, I don't really know why you're here if that's not what you're after. We don't got anything else to give you. The godly life is not only worth living now, it also, of course, does lead to a glorious future, as verses 10 and 11 remind us. So remember what you've been given. Here's the way to examine, or what you should examine. But third, don't forget. Remember, where this is all going, where, it's, where we're heading. Verse 10 urges us, in light of all that has been said, he says, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. And by the way, that, that verse means exactly what I'm, you probably think it means. We should be all the more diligent to assure ourselves, to comfort our hearts, that we are true Christians by examining and looking for evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And if you want to really encourage a brother and sister, because sometimes we have a hard time seeing it in ourselves, make sure you point out to them the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit you see in their life. What a great way to encourage each other. After all, he says, 
If you see him producing these qualities in our lives, you can be sure, look what he says, that we will never fall. And by the way, this is a reference to final salvation. It does not mean you won't stumble along the way. The scripture does not demand from us who trust in Christ a sinless life. The righteous man falls seven times and rises again. The focus of the Christian life is not on avoiding sin. It's like a little kid learning to walk. The focus can't be, we got to keep them from falling. If you do that, they're never walking, right? No, no. The focus instead, by the way, if you do that, it's like saying, don't focus on the negative. Don't, try to, don't focus all your life on trying to avoid sin. It's like saying, don't think of a pink unicorn. You just did it. I know, but unicorn's more interesting. So that's why I made it pink unicorn. So don't focus on that. Instead, the Christian life is focused on Christ and the goal of Christ's likeness, which the Holy Spirit is sure to produce in us as we press on toward the goal. This is the way, verse 11 says. Look at it. This is the way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we've spent a lot of time this year learning about the kingdom. Let me be clear once more. This is not speaking simply about a disembodied heaven. You get this? We got to get this right. The promise, as we find in chapter 3 of 2 Peter, is the reign of God in righteousness, in a renewed world, and in resurrected bodies. That's where we're heading. That gives meaning to your life now. Because the body, your life matters now. What is the way into this eternal kingdom? And the answer is Jesus. You better say that, right? Jesus is the way. Of course he's the way. But if we are following Jesus, if we are desiring his kingdom, then this desire will bear the scriptural fruit we find in a text like ours. Otherwise, your faith is in vain. So this being the case, it is right for us, just as Peter says in verses 12 to 15, is right for him always to remind you of these qualities. We know better than to think that the fruit of the Spirit merits for us our entrance into the eternal kingdom. But as long as we are on this journey in this mortal life, it is right, as Peter says in verse 13, to stir you up by way of reminder. So that's what we've tried to do the last year. Just try to stir us up by reminding us and helping each other to be able, as he says in verse 15, at any time to recall these things. So now, where are we going? We're moving on, Lord willing. Next week, we begin our annual series in Crosstown Basics. After that, starting on September 12th, we're going to begin a year-long study through the book of Romans. But may we never forget that we've been given everything we need for a godly life now. So let's not be passive about it. Let's stir up each other with a view toward the glorious kingdom of God that by his grace we will soon enter. Let's pray together. So Father in heaven, hallowed be your name.
oh, wow, you have given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. We love and cherish your promises. But you have not left us to simply wait out the clock on our time in this mortal life. You have given us a taste right now already. The kingdom has come. If we are in Christ by grace through faith, right now we have entered into this new creation. Yes, just like David was anointed king and had to wait, had to wait for the fullness of the kingdom to arrive. We wait for the Son of God to return and triumph from heaven. But we are your saints now, already. So we press on by your grace and the knowledge of Christ. By seeing Jesus, we ask you to produce the Holy Spirit. We ask you to produce Holy Spirit, your fruit in our life. We ask you to drive away from us the things that displease you. We thank you for the new heart that is ours in Christ. And since the old has passed, the new has come. We look, we look and focus on all that we get to enjoy already as citizens of your eternal kingdom. Thank you for your word of encouragement. Thank you for stirring us up to love and good deeds by the power of your gospel. We give you praise together in Jesus' name. Amen.